This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. A science story, huh? It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true, personal stories about science. I'm your host, Misha Gajewski, and this week our stories are about our storytellers' lives outside of science, which, let me tell you, is just as fascinating as the science they do. Also, on another related note, I'm always astounded when I learn about scientists' extracurricular activities because... When do they have the time? Between teaching, doing research, marking papers, navigating the politics of academic life, writing grant proposals, and all the other things they have to do, how do so many scientists also have these amazing creative hobbies and skills? And they're never bad at them either, unlike me. Recently, I thought I could take up darning because I have this sweatshirt that I love so much, but it's more holes than sweatshirt at this point, and Oh my gosh, I am so bad at darning. I gave up after 20 minutes of trying to sew on one patch. But whenever I meet a scientist who, say, took up knitting, they're always so accomplished that they can knit little bacteria Christmas ornaments. It's so not fair. Anyway, our first story is from Kay's Wong. It was recorded at Caveat in New York City in January 2023. The theme that night was resolutions. So I started doing physics and high jump when I was 14. Uh, physics is a simple story, you know. Everyone has to do it in the school. You're, you know, tell by the law that you have to do it. And I'm a good kid, so I do it. Um, and But the story about high jumping, it's a little bit more messed up. So when I was a kid, I loved to play volleyball. And I jumped really high. I've got, like, really strong leg. Um, and, and I love to play volleyball all day. And it so happened the teacher who managed the volleyball team is the same teacher that managed the track and field team. And one day after training, he come and pat in my back and say, hey buddy, you jump really high, do you wanna compete for the school? I said, no, what are you talking about? Uh, I don't wanna do that, I wanna do volleyball, Jesus. And maybe he took that personally and then he grabbed my shoulder. He's like, look, if you don't jump for the school, you're not playing volleyball for the school. So I consent, kind of. And that's how I got conscripted into playing uh, jumping for the school. But over time, I start to fall in love with both physics and high jump. Um, physics is cool because, you know, I got a new spectacle to look into the world. But also, I just sound a little bit more quirky. And that makes me stand out among the teenage friend that I have. That feels good. Um, <clears throat> but then high jump, it's uh, great because I don't need to deal with the idiots on my volleyball team. I don't need to deal with that anymore. Um, it also, like, you know, whenever I compete, people cheers for me. So it's like, yeah, this is what I want. <laughs> and finally, it's really just feel great when I reach the apex of the parabola when I'm trying to clear heights. So, so that feels awesome. But 
neither physics or high jumps are easy career choice. Becoming a professor is hard, gonna be one, but becoming an Olympian is arguably harder. So it's really one way or another. Like when I was 20, I wanna like I was given a chance either I'd go to this, come to the state to study a PhD in physics, or I can keep training to the national team back there in Hong Kong. Um, at the end of the day, I chose physics. And the reason is, at age of 20, I thought I was too old. And that was ludicrous like to think back, but the world-class jumper, they were like when they were tw uh, 20, they jumped this high, 230, the tip of my finger. Whereas I jump a respectable height of my height, 185. <laughs> not, not too bad, like not too shabby, I dare everyone here uh, <laughs> to, to, to jump this height. The clear bar that high, I, I think I'm good. But I'm not that good. So I told myself I'm already expired. I, I really can't do this. Physics is more logical. It guarantees a job. Whereas high jump, I may get guaranteed to use my insurance. So that's good. Um, so, so I chose physics over high jump because of logical reason. And I kind of let it hurt because I was starting to like high jump. But what really ground my soul is uh, when I was in college, I used to go back to high, uh, my high school and teach the junior how to jump. I'm a big guy for a nation standard, so like the kid will actually look up to me and say, hey, Case, what's your best jump? Like, what's your personal best? And I would say, 190. But I actually never did it. I claim a height I never did it because it sounds cool, because it's taller than me. Because I like this. Huh? And, but then they was like, oh, Case is so cool. And they run in the other direction cheering for me. And I always feel a little guilty. It's like, ah, it's fine, you know, I'll just jump it before they figure it out. Um, but then, I never get the chance because by giving a high jump, I never get the chance to prove myself. And that really hurt. That means that I'll always be a liar to those kids that admired me until the end of time. Hurt me, right? <laughs> uh, but anyway, you know, you move on with life. All right, what am I gonna do about that, right? I'm just come to Baltimore, never see them again, great. Um, <laughs> so I, I went on and do my PhD in physics. And um, I study black hole and you know, look at all these like, data analysis stuff all the time. But once in a while, I would think about, should I do high jump again? Uh, maybe I'm still young enough, 21, 22, 23, 24. Maybe I'm still young, right? Um, but like this time, physicist case will comes in and tells you like, no, buddy. Uh, like you chosen me, physics, right, over a high jump. If you wiggle back and forth and you can't realize your full potential, you're kind of being disrespectful to that guy that couldn't jump now. Or the kid that you am I. It's like, all right, I'm not taking that. Like, try to persuade me more. And then physicist Case will learn, you know, use the knowledge that he learned over grad school and ask this question that most ask when I tell people that I do black hole. Is there another universe in uh, a black hole? And I, whenever I get that answer like, as a scientist, I need to tell you there is no evidence for or against this hypothesis. But as a person, I usually like to think that maybe in one of these black holes that I study, there's another case that just chose high jump over physics, <laughs> right? And it's not supposed to be funny. Uh, <laughs> it's it's an emotion now. He chose, to, he chose high jump and over physics, and he's jumping for both of us. We separate by like a thin surface of event horizon, but in this universe, I will study physics for both of us. So that's how I thought. And uh, that's going well for four years. And then 2020, we all know what happened. We got trapped in the room by ourselves, COVID. And uh, I always think that like, what do I regret in life? And it points to one thing and one thing only, 190. I claim something that I've never done. <laughs> so that, that kind of sucks. And at some point I just snapped. I couldn't do it. I couldn't handle the stress. So I said, okay, I need a plan. I need a plan to jump 190 before I die. Um, <laughs> and, and like my plan was find a job, graduate and start jumping. 
<laughs> and it's like, wait, job jumping, job jumping, they don't go well together. But anyway, I, I, I was pretty smart at the time, so like, it's like, this will work. And, uh, and, and then I went up to tell my uh, supervisor that, right, hey, buddy, I'm going to apply for my dream job, and if I get it, you got to let me go. I was doing pretty well in grad school. It's supposed to be a six years program, but I'm like three and a half years in, but I'm ready to graduate. So he kind of reluctantly agree. And then uh, I did get my dream job at the Flatiron Institute. So I moved to NYC uh, 2021 July. And then after I settled in, I started training again. And soon after I find myself to have like a Achilles tendonitis, twisted knee, pulled it back, Apparently, I was 25 at the time, so, but I'm still training with the mindset of 20 years old. That was not good. Um, <laughs> I wasn't nearly as athletic. I recovered much slower. And then I know at that point I need to be smarter. But the good thing is I was qualified as a smart person by graduating from my PhD. I have a cert to prove that. So um, then I, I you know, tell myself, like, it's time to put my skill into use. So I started using physics, machine learning, statistics. I start taping myself. Like, oh, this is the joint angle. This is how it's going to work. And I'm going to prove it. And I do it the next day. Um, and you know, like, things goes on. And physicist's case helped me to plan a more productive and efficient training program. And in June, 2020, like June 12, 2022, I decided to take another chance. I went to a competition in New Jersey. Um, so that was a rainy and windy day on the day that of competition. At noon, when high jump was about to start, the rain miraculously stopped. So that was lucky. Um, and the way the high jump competition goes is you pick a height that you start with. And every time you clear it, you go up by five centimeters. And um, like if you fail three times in a row, you're out of the competition. So I, I picked it at 180 to be my starting height. It was about this tall. And clearly at first try, I was so cocky walking around. I was like, ah, this is easy. I'm going to do it today. Um, and then they rise it to 185, my personal best at the time. And again, first try, nailed it. Like, you know, I feel so confident. Ah, this is today that I redeem myself. And they raise it to 190. I look at, I, I stand under it and look at it for a second. No way. No fucking chance. Um, <laughs> like, it's not happening today. We can call it off. I'm just going to go home now. But anyway, I'm not going to embarrass myself by just walking away, right? So I walk up to my pro, like the start of my approach. Then I started my approach and, you know, started taking the jump. I failed, obviously, because I was so stressed and, uh, you know, like feel nervous about the jump. It's so high. It's a, a high that I never managed to clear ever. So I was so stressed and I jumped and I click it and didn't go through. But it was close enough that I know that day I was physically ready. So the only thing that I need to be is to mentally ready. So I walk up to my start again, and I was looking at the like pit uh, and the bar, and something magical start happening. With every breath that I took in, the world become a little bit quieter, and the world fade away a little bit. At some point, I couldn't see the people around me. The only thing that I saw is the bar and the gray, like the bar that I'm about to clear, and the gray sky above. And at some point, the world become completely silent, just like the room, no one's saying anything. Um, <laughs> but, and, and, you know, like, I just feel every pulse pumping through my vein and wind scratching my skin. And at that moment, I know I am ready. And I started my approach. At the end of the approach, once again, I was faced with 190, the heights that I've never reached, that, the one that I feel nervous about before. But this time, I don't feel any fear, no single threat of nervousness. I know today is the day, and I know I'm going to clear that height. And I took off. Before I cleared the bar, I'm still above the bar, like doing a flop. 
Suddenly, the world involved, like the gray sky enveloped me, and every senses of mine snapped back into me. Even though I haven't cleared it, I know that time I have cleared it. Um, and then I start, you know, falling onto the pit, before, uh, and I start screaming from the bottom of the lung, pumping my fist. Everyone was cheering for me, just like now. No. Um, uh, uh, that was the spirit of that day. And on that day, I redeemed myself. On that day, I took two separate universes and merged them into one. And I come to this universe, just like the Avengers, no. Um, and in this universe, I'm both a physicist and a high jumper. Thanks. That was Kay Zwang. Kays is a postdoctoral research fellow studying black holes through gravitational waves with machine learning at the Flatiron Institute. He is also trying to be a competitive high jumper. Before we continue with today's episode, a couple of reminders. We have shows coming up in New York and Washington, D.C. in July. To get tickets and find out more about these shows, visit storyclutter.org tickets. You can also visit storyclutter.org shows to find out more about how to bring a Story Clutter show to your community. And if you're in Seattle and have a true personal story about science, nature, and everything wild, we want to hear from you. We're teaming up with The Wild Podcast and KUOW Radio for a special Wild Stories storytelling show, Friday, October 27th, 2023, live in Seattle. If you're interested in sharing a story, please submit your pitch at either storyclutter.org submissions or email stories at storyclutter.org by July 27th and include a short one to two paragraph summary of your story and the wild in the subject line. If you'd like to learn more about how to tell a science story, check out storyclutter.org education. We offer private workshops both online and in person for groups, and we offer public courses for individuals online as well. Our next advanced storytelling workshop is starting so soon on July 6th. We have a couple of spots left, so if you'd like to find out more and sign up to take this awesome course taught by our executive director and Moth Grand Slam champion, Aaron Barker, visit storyclutter.org education. Also, if you're not already following us on social media, follow us at StoryClutter. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And finally, if you're a fan of this podcast, and if you, like us, believe in the power these stories have to reveal the humanity behind science, to change our understanding of how science happens and who it belongs to, please donate to the Story Collider at storyclider.org donate. You can also sign up to support us on a monthly basis at patreon.com slash the Story Collider. Our Patreon supporters can receive an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as occasional bonus episodes and other gifts. We're so grateful to everyone who helps make our work possible. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, our second story is from Micaela Martinez. It was recorded at Caveat in New York in January 2023. The theme that night was resolutions. (laughs) 
so I was always that little girl who loved trees. For a couple years as a child, I lived in Montana, and right outside of our trailer, we had this huge evergreen, and I would climb it all the way to the top. And it was here that I would entertain my imaginary friends, who were actually a couple snowy owl chicks. These were my only friends until I shared about them at school, and then my teacher pretty promptly called my parents. I don't really remember that many other details from this time in my life because it was a pretty uncomfortable period. I remember that I was very scared going to school. I was the only non-white child in my class, and the boys loved teasing me. On Fridays at recess, they would gather around and flip up my dress for everyone to see, and they called this Friday's flip-up days, and I hated it here. I think this is why I preferred the company of trees rather than other children. And so years later, when I was turning 20, I moved to Alaska to attend undergrad at the University of Alaska Southeast. And it was here where I really fell in love with temperate rainforests. So they have these beautiful Sitka spruce and mountain hemlocks and these very rich understories that I can go hiking in and exploring. And it always felt like this fairy, like magical fairy world. And it was also here in Alaska that I got my first job as a research scientist. And I was actually studying ring seals up in the Arctic. So if you watch National Geographic and you see a polar bear eating a seal, those were the seals that I studied. <laughs> so in addition to my love of the wilderness and running around on the tundra, I also loved fishnet stockings, glitter, and at this time, my curling iron which came at quite a surprise to my boss when he realized that his new mentee actually brought her curling iron up to the tundra. <laughs> and one of the reasons that I loved things like this, I loved dressing up, was that I did theater. I was a theater kid. I never took science classes. I think I took one mandatory biology class as a freshman, but I was in theater. I would do competitive monologues. I would sing in choir. I danced. I painted. That was my thing. But now that I was there in undergrad, I wasn't really getting encouragement to continue on in the arts. But what I was getting encouragement to do was science, because I had this job as a research scientist, and I was taking biology and math classes and doing great. So I decided to put the arts to the side and chase more practical things, like becoming an Ivy League professor, even though I'm the first person in my family to go to college. Oh, thank you. But even though I have spent 18 of the last 37 years of my life working towards becoming a professor, it's a little bit uncomfortable for me. And I've come to realize that some of this discomfort is really because academic spaces weren't built for people like me in mind, a young Chicana who wasn't raised in a world of titles and affluence and lots of monetary things. And this discomfort became more and more apparent when I got my first um, postdoc at Princeton. So this is right after I finished my PhD. It's my first job as Dr. Martinez. And at, when I was at Princeton, it was this very small town, if any of you have gone there. So it's a little bit boring if you're a single young woman. So I would bust my ass working 
all during the week. And then on the weekends, I actually started sneaking away. So I'd either fly to a different state or I would come into New York. Mostly I would go to Harlem. And I created a side gig for myself doing promo for underground rappers. Now, at the same time, my maternal grandmother was dying. And so I went to visit her. And she had always been a church organist. So when I was with her, she sat me down on her piano bench. And she played the piano. And I sang. And my mother and my aunts gathered around. And we all sang. And my grandmother turned to me. And she said, don't ever lose music from your life. And I was a little bit ashamed because even though I agreed that I wouldn't, internally I knew that I had given up singing long ago in pursuit of my education. So then when I returned back to Princeton, I asked myself, why do I go so hard for all these rappers? I'm going and doing all of this hip hop promo. And then I realized it was because I actually wanted to be a rapper myself. So I got a mic and a little sound booth and I started my journey as recording artist. And then I got my first job as a professor. Now I was a new assistant professor at Columbia University. And this was not a coincidence that I decided to take this job, which would allow me to live in Harlem, where then I could pursue my career as a professional rapper while being a professor on the side. Uh, <laughs> And it, it was such an interesting time because within hip hop spaces, I was always very open about the fact um, that I was also a scientist. And, you know, sometimes I would get teased by other rappers asking me, like, why are you going so hard in hip hop? Are you really trying to make it? You already have this well-paying job. Like, what are you doing? Which is, what is your passion? I can't tell you how many times people ask, what's your actual passion? So, but that was easier for me to navigate compared to navigating my science colleagues because it was always unclear to me when it was safe for me to out myself as a rapper in science spaces. And I learned right away it was just better for me to keep my mouth shut. There was one instance where a senior um, colleague of mine asked me to show her some of my music videos, and I did. And even though she started with, this is fabulous, she then said, this is dangerous. And I knew what she meant. The implication was that if other scientists saw me doing things that they perceived as provocative, that they wouldn't take me as seriously as an intellectual. So I kept that side of me kind of to myself. And I started to realize, though, that society doesn't always inherently um, attribute value to women of, women of color, that oftentimes our value is seen by how much we give to society. So people would really value me when they saw me as a scientist, but not necessarily value me when they saw me as a rapper. And this has played out many times over the years. Um, recently, I was in Atlanta, and I was coming home from a night out, and I'm like decked out way more than I am now. Like I was like <laughs> dressed to the T's, right? And uh, my Uber driver is taking me home. It's really late at night. And he started making me really uncomfortable to the point where I was frightened. And he wasn't following the path on the app. And I did what I knew to do, which was I started talking to him. And I very quickly created a space for myself to say, I'm a professor. And just like that, snap like I've seen over and over again. As soon as someone finds out that I'm a professor, they stop objectifying me and all of a sudden I'm valuable. And also recently I had been teaching a class this last semester, a social justice class. And I created this class, it's called Imagine a Just City. 
And the idea was to weave together artwork and the study of social justice to try to imagine a world that we want to live in, a world that um, doesn't have police brutality and mass incarceration of black and brown people, a world that doesn't have astronomically high childhood asthma rates because of where we place pollution in communities of color. So my students and I, we would do things like read Yoko Ono poems and then write out policies for how to fix the police. <laughs> Um, but during this time, I was fortunate enough to co-teach this class with a professional comedian, and this changed my life, because he was the first person that ever saw me operationally, both within academia and in my regular life, just as me and as a rapper. And one night we were out, and he went to introduce me to a poet friend of his, and he got like super flustered. And then the next day, he was like, yo, your code switch is so hard, it stresses me out. I do not know how to introduce you. Do I introduce you as Dr. Martinez, as Michaela the scientist, or Ayla Hopeful Monster the rapper? He was like, it's stressful. And then I realized, like, yo, it's really stressful for me, too. And I was like, and you know what? My name isn't even Michaela. My name is Micaela, but when I started college, I was always so embarrassed to continually correct people about the proper pronunciation of my name that I just started saying Michaela. And he, you know, referred to this as like my Batman, Bruce Wayne life. And I realized, do I really want to be Batman and Bruce Wayne? I don't know. But I really just started to ask myself, well, who am I? And I put myself in this cage, is what I've realized, is over the years I built a cage for myself. And so now, when I ask myself the question, who am I? I've had to become comfortable with the silence. Why'd you, why'd you, why'd you forget about me? Why'd you forget about me? Why'd you forget about me? Who said, baby, we got love on our side? Cause where I'm from, that's the quickest way to die. Shot through the heart, I caught it in the chest. Don't ask for my forgiveness, bring me flowers instead. This one's for the heat, I caught him in the streets. We out here saving souls while running rhymes and resting beats. He always do me dirty like we do between the sheets. I love him something crazy like a bumble loves a beat. So when I ask myself, who am I? I'm that little girl who loves trees. And I've sat under them, I've climbed them, and I've rapped about it. You guys! That was Micaela Martinez. Dr. Micaela Martinez is a Chicana scientist, songwriter, and rapper from Harlem. 
Her research focuses on infectious disease ecology, the study of biological rhythms, and the ecology of structural racism. She has worked as an advocate for police reform and holistic approaches to social justice in New York City. She has been a professor since 2017 and has mentored many students of color in their journey through science. Her latest endeavor includes using art, science, and imagination to teach social justice in an effort she termed Imagine a Just City. For more information on this initiative, please visit her website, memartinez.org. The Story Collider is so grateful to Kays and Micaela for sharing their stories with us. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by Aaron Barker, executive director and co-founder of The Story Collider, and me, managing producer Misha Gajewski and senior podcast editor Jen Chen. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board and the rest of our staff, including managing director Anne-Marie Lonsdale, science advisory fellow Edith Gonzalez, and our operations manager, Lindsay Cooper, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were both produced by Christine Gentry and Paula Croxon. Our theme music is by Ghost, and next week, I'll be back with stories about resurfacing and coming back to oneself. Until then, thanks so much for listening. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.